been several things running through my mind in the last few weeks in regard to training of children. I, I think a lot of parents are wrestling with whether their kids are going to be in public school or whether they're going to homeschool or some in-between thing. Uh, it's, it's very, very complicated, right, trying to make those decisions. Um, part of it is that nobody knows what school is going to look like. And uh, there's, I've had parents tell me, my kids aren't going to be able to learn as well online. They just don't function that way. And so it's, it's, it's difficult, and those are hard decisions. But uh, one of the things that I, I have been considering is that if you do get involved more with your child's education, whether it be at home and they're doing online courses or not, you have a wonderful opportunity to incorporate more of God's name into history and the things that have taken place over time and his intervention on behalf of nations and his work within nations. And you also have a, an incredible opportunity to show through the sciences the wonder of God's creation and what he's done. And so, you know, I, I, from that, in last week we had in the men's group, we had been going through Deuteronomy, and we hit that passage where it talks about training your children. And, and so during the week, just in my own personal exercise, I was, I was walking through, and I'm going, okay, what qualities would I want a child to have? Now, I've already raised mine. I'm talking about grandkids at the best right now, and children here. But, you know, I started making a list, and I thought that's where I'm headed Sunday, and it, it didn't go the way I'd land. But, you know, I started writing things like, well, I want a child that's honest. You know, I want to train honesty into a kid. And, and I want a, a kid that's courageous, that, that conquers fears. I want them patient. I, I, I want them to know obedience and, and how to uh, respond that way. I, I want them to pursue wisdom. Um, and I want them to be, in, in that vein, I want them to be able to be humble enough to accept advice, not ruled by pride or fear, but willing to, to take advice from others. Uh, I want them to know how to forgive. You know, one of the hardest lessons for a parent is teaching a child to say, I'm sorry, right? It, something inside of us rebels when it comes to that. And I don't know a single kid that didn't struggle with it when the parents were trying to say, this is who we are and this is what we do. And, uh, you know, you get these uh, apologies that, that are just kind of like, well, get you off my back kind of thing, or, you know, that try to incorporate something that is actually meaningful. Uh, I, want, I want kids to be able to know how to forgive and be forgiven. You know, and to, to develop the gifts that they have, you know, as a parent can see into their child's life better than anyone else, they can help move them in directions to utilize their gifts. Well, all that said, <laughs> I'm still working on my list. But I want to go back and look at the scripture for a bit and then um, go from there. So in Deuteronomy 6, this is what kind of triggered this. 
Moses is writing his final letter or his final declaration to the people before he dies. And so he's rehearsing things and he's giving them advice for the future. And in the sixth chapter, he says, you know, regarding these commands and statutes and ordinances of the Lord, uh, you need to obey these and you need to teach your children and your grandchildren these things. That way, it'll prolong your lives, and you'll be able to prosper in the land that I'm giving you. So he says there's a direct connection on your response to God as to how your life goes. And you need to understand that you can pass this on to your children and allow them a, a leg up, so to speak. You, you have a responsibility to share the stories that are yours. Uh, if you want them to increase and you want to continue to enjoy the place where you're living, you want things to go well in that land, then you need to follow these ordinances. And uh, he then says, you need to let them know that there is only one God and that you're to love him with all your heart. And, you know, we've, we know that the, the, the command and the greatest, the greatest command and the second one, you know, love your neighbors yourself, that comes to us out of the Old Testament. And yet, how does that, how do you do that? How do you accomplish that? That's the task within every family, right? He goes on in that passage and he says, you've got to teach your children these things. You've got to train them in this. And he says, it needs to be a part of your life. When you sit down, when you stand up, when you walk, when you, when you lay down, when you get up, he says, in every facet of life, there needs to be this conversational flow, but also it needs to be a part of who you are. You know, you're not going to take them somewhere that you haven't been. And so your life needs to model this in character, in an activity but then there also needs to be verbal expression. He touches on this again in the 11th chapter of Deuteronomy. He says, your children have not personally experienced the things that you experienced, so you need to let them know. And in that case, he said, you need to let them know what happened in Egypt, how God's judgments came on Pharaoh. You need to know how his army was buried under the Red Sea. You need to let them know how, how in the wilderness, God's judgment was, was uh, made known when there were complaining and murmuring and different plagues would break out or the earth would open up and swallow a group of people because they'd been vile. He says, let these stories be known. You saw it with your own eyes, but they didn't get to see it. So they need to hear it. Psalm 145 says, One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. And I was just, you know, then I started going back and I'm, and I'm going, okay, have I adequately conveyed the stories that are a part of my family? You know, I had the privilege of growing up um, fairly near to one set of grandparents and I have very strong memories of my grandpa, Casadon, praying. And he was an Italian immigrant. He never got his English down real well. But there was something special when he would pray. And, I, and it was, he was a, a relatively quiet man, and his, his prayers weren't real loud. 
But there was something powerful in the moment that I would remember. You know, and it would touch me every time he prayed. And uh, my, my grandma, you know, was uh, a powerful intellect, and, and she read and quoted major passages of, of uh, writings and scripture. And, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm going, okay, did I, did I tell these stories? Because they're part of my heritage. And, you know, the fact that they spent, the, my grandparents spent many hours a day praying at the end of their lives. You know, they, I know that it affected us. They prayed for every one of us, kids and grandkids. And then my parents, you know, took that example, and, and my mother was very devout. And, you know, I, all through life, I remember, well, in high school, I, I just have distinct memories of a Bible that she basically wore out. You know how when they get real used and, and the pages kind of start expanding on the outside and, and uh, there's kind of that wavy approach and, and you know, and the binding's gone and eventually she gets a new Bible. But it, it, it started because every morning when I'd get up, she would be finishing her personal devotions and uh, I would be, you know, if I... I came out too early, she'd send me back because she wanted, that was her time. You know, no conversation. I'm locked in. Well, those memories stick with a kid. And you say, this is important in their life. And, uh, you know, my dad, my dad was a Christian all through, but he, he essentially became devout after I left for college. I came home and I remember him every day coming home from work, sitting down, reading the scripture for half hour to so and praying. And, and that became his routine, but it also changed his character. Where suddenly some things that have been really rough about him softened and changed. And, you know, and the only thing I can point to is that, well, two things. I'm out of the house and he's reading his Bible. <laughs> you know? But, you know, it was a good change, you know, and, and then I'm going, okay, did I convey those stories? And, and when we gather together, we have corporate stories. You know, Ryan you know, mentioned you that uh, I heard this week that you'd prayed over Michael's feet and they were healed. You know, that's, that becomes our, okay, with the kids, awesome. That becomes part of our story when we hear it. But I also have a distinct memory of your knee being healed, you know, when you were sitting there, and, and suddenly this guy's going nuts, you know. <laughs> my knee, my knee. <laughs> you know. Those become our stories. And we've got to continue giving expression to them. It's just like when somebody's going... Uh, Somebody like Eli was going, I was down to my last few dollars and I got a job. You know, that's the hand of God that we put it to. And if we give vocalization to that, it builds this awareness and this acceptance that says, I need to be a part of this too. And it helps us press on to say, this is our life. You know, we want that transfer from one generation to the next to be successful. 
How do you get that done? Um, it, it isn't enough to be religious. Uh, the story is told of Eli and his sons. Eli was an Old Testament high priest. And uh, it said that his sons were profane and he didn't rebuke them or some translations will say restrain them. And the priesthood is plucked out of their family line, even though it's been a part of that family for generations. And God says, no, I'm not having profane people fill this role. And that's the end of that particular family line. So you realize that even though this man had been religious, even though he'd been carrying out the work of, of, of overseeing the religious activity of the nation, because he failed in his own family, it didn't go forward with them. There is a positive story out of Jeremiah, a unique story. And it's uh, about the Rechabites. That's quite a name, isn't it? I have no clue if I'm pronouncing it right, but that's as close as I'll get. Um, they, they were a family group that uh, Jeremiah went to and said one day, ah, come on over. Here, have some wine. And you're going, well, okay. And they're going, no, we don't, we don't do that. And, uh, you know, for that day and age, it would have been fine for most families. And in fact, they'd have treated it as a celebration. But in their heritage, and the commentaries will say almost, well, possibly 300 years previous, a man named Jonadab, uh, one of the early grandpas of that family line, told his family, you are never to drink fruit of the vine. You are never to live in houses. You're never to plant fields. You're never to have vineyards. You're to live in tents all of your lives. Now, the, the promised land had been hoped for and dreamed of and set down your roots. And this guy is going, in the Lord, he's calling our family to something different. Now, that, that in some ways clues us in that you don't necessarily have to live exactly like everyone else, nor should you judge others who may live a little differently. Sometimes God calls families to certain things that he doesn't necessarily call everyone. But this group had been living that for 300 years, and they're telling Jeremiah, in a sense they're saying, it doesn't matter what kind of prophet you are, we're not doing that. And he goes back in, to them and he says, you will never lack a person who will stand before the Lord. In other words, your commitment to this is such that God will always have somebody whose heart is turned toward him. What a wonderful thing to be given to a family. And so Jeremiah goes on and tells the rest of the people, he says, um, they listened, you didn't. Judgment's coming. So it was all kind of this uh, drama being played out in society. I want to jump to Ecclesiastes. 
there's a summation of duty in the Lord that the writer gives. And he says, Fear the God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, every secret thing, whether good or evil. So he says, We will all stand before God, and even in this lifetime, God is evaluating things, whether they're good or evil. And it comes under his judgment. It comes under his view, and he makes decisions regarding the lives according to how those behaviors have come out. And so the writer is saying, this is kind of a summary of, of what we need to be aware of. Let's jump to Romans. In the first chapter, it says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who suppress the truth by their unrighteousness. So he's saying, even in this day, there are things going on where the judgment of God is evident because of those who are chasing an unrighteous lifestyle. Titus says this, The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. It trains us to reject godless ways and worldly desires, or as some translations say, worldly passions. And, and so what we have to acknowledge is that God is evaluating lives. He is involved in our lives as well. And he evaluates what's good and what's evil, but he has allowed us his grace to speak into our lives in a way that reveals to us what we need to do. He speaks what is godly to us. He, he speaks to us what is upright, self-controlled. And he teaches us how to live if we're willing to listen. Jesus lived this out. John 14, it says, I'm doing just what the Father commanded me, so the world may know that I love the Father. Later in the 15th chapter, it says, As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you obey my commandments, you will remain in my love, as I have obeyed my Father's commandments and remain in his love. So we look at it and we say, okay, Jesus remained in the Father's love, doing what he wanted. What did he do? Well, if you, you evaluate his life, and uh, there was a commentator named Gill that had some things. Um, but it, it was essentially this. He said, Jesus fulfilled the law. You know, he followed the Ten Commandments. He followed the laws of God. He fulfilled even the ceremonial law. He proclaimed the gospel as he was called to do. He preached the good news of the kingdom. And then he gave up his life for the rest of us. So he was obedient to death on a cross. He was obedient through everything that pertained to life in God. And so if we take that example, we look around and we say, okay, there are certain things that I know to do that are commands of the Lord. There are certain things that I know that he's called me to do in giving declaration of his goodness. There are certain things that I do that I lay down my life for others as a part of my obedience to Christ. I want to finish by reading out of Proverbs chapter 3. 
And uh, kids, if you're listening, this is written for children. My child, remember my teachings and instructions and obey them completely. They will help you live a long and prosperous life. So what's this, the scripture saying this? If you're willing to listen, this will benefit your life. If you're willing to put these things into effect, there's a certain prosperity of life or, and even longevity that's promised to you. Let love and loyalty always show like a necklace. Write them in your mind. God and people will like you and consider you a success. Where he's saying, if you're a loving person, if you're a loyal person, those things count. If you're willing to, to show love to others, if you're willing to be loyal in your relationships, he says, that's a big deal. Then he says, with all your heart, you must trust the Lord and not your own judgment. This is from the contemporary English version, by the way. Always let him lead you, and he will clear the road for you to follow. So in other words, he has a willingness to guide your steps where you need to go. He will open up the doors that you need opened. You have to trust his leading over even your own understanding in some things. There are times when it boils down to trust, right? There are times when it's like, do I believe what God said or do I believe what my eyes are telling me? And this writer is saying, trust God. Trust him, he's faithful. Here's the next one. Don't ever think that you're wise enough but respect the Lord and stay away from evil. This will make you healthy and you will feel strong. Be willing to accept advice. <laughs> Be willing to learn always. You know, I, even as I was putting this together, I got to thinking this week, something I need to declare um, I, and this was attached to thoughts regarding COVID. Truthfully, I'm not particularly concerned for myself. And I, I've been trying to evaluate, is that just being foolish? Or, you know, what's, what's attached to that? Well, you need to know that I haven't been sick for a couple years at least. And I, I mean enough to lose a day. It's been several years. Um... Since we've been married, I've been to the doctor three times. Uh, once for stitches, once for Lyme's disease, and once for a skin rash. <laughs> um, I've lived a pretty blessed life. Now, you know, there were times that I couldn't afford insurance, and there's other factors, but the truth is I've been extremely healthy. And if I were to die tonight you would still need to say that man was healthy <laughs> for a very long time. So in, in that regard, I need to give God thanks. And it needs to be part of my declaration that he has been faithful to me in that way. There's a little more here. 
Honor the Lord by giving him your money and the first part of your crops. Then you will have more grain and grapes than you ever need. He says, if, there's, if you live generously, you will also be given in generosity. It's counterintuitive, but it's part of the Lord's plan. And he puts resources in our hands to bless others. And if we'll be faithful in that, there's a recognition that he will continue to give us abundance. Now, sometimes that generosity doesn't come back in money. That's true. But if you evaluate your life, you'll still say, I've received a great deal. It's a wondrous thing. Finally, my child, don't turn away or become bitter when the Lord corrects you. The Lord corrects everyone he loves, just as parents correct their favorite child. So this declaration is, we have to be willing to receive even the discipline that says, no, that's not right. And you cannot be allowed to do this. That's miserable, right? None of us likes being told no. And yet the scripture is declaring, this is what a parent does for the child they love. They love. This is what God does for us because he loves us. That protection of insight that sees more than what a child sees allows the parent to say, this is a bad path. Don't go down that road. You know, we read earlier of Eli not stepping up and reproving his sons, and they lose the priesthood out of it. How many doors get shut because we're unwilling to listen? And the humility necessary to receive, it's crucial. So let's, let's just go through. Your influence has powerful effect on your children, grandchildren, future generations, put it that way. Become the person you want them to be. You, have, you, can't, you can't just talk it, but it's got to be a part of character as well. So you live it and you declare it, believing that God's going to help them to see and carry on with that. And then consciously share the good stories of what God has done. Share the, the, the declarations of his faithfulness. 